Hello and welcome to another installment of Bar Talk Podcast, bringing you everything you need to know about law via discussions, interviews, and news updates. Let's do this thing and... Hi, welcome everybody. This is Dave Summers, Executive Director of the Omaha Bar Association, and I am here for another edition of the Bar Talk Podcast, brought to you by the Omaha Bar. With me today is past Omaha Bar Association President Dave Houghton of Houghton Bradford Witted, right here in <laughs> Omaha. And Dave holds the distinction of not only being the Omaha Bar Association past president, but also the State Bar Association past president. And he currently sits on the Board of Governors for the American Bar Association, and I believe also American Bar Foundation. Right. Correct. Right. So Dave is uh, what we would consider a bar junkie. <laughs> I think that is the, the definition of bar junkie. <laughs> I think you're right. Um, and uh, Dave has been involved in the Bar Association longer than I probably have been alive. So he is the person that I want to sit down with today and pick his brain on a few things and also just get a sense of, of where he sees the landscape here in Omaha. So, um, Making Dave, me feel really old. Dave, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, not, not old as much as wise and, yeah. uh, and the sage that we all need to listen to. <laughs> right, I don't know about that. <laughs> um, Dave, give our listeners a background. Um, where did you grow up and uh, where did you go to school? Well, I grew up in Iowa, grew up in Des Moines, and uh, went to school at Drake uh, for undergrad. And then I went to the University of Iowa for law school. And I came over here to clerk for... Uh, a federal judge, Don Lay, who was on the Eighth Circuit, and uh, we fell in love with Omaha uh, during that year. It's a marvelous community. Uh, I am, I have adopted it as my home. We have four children, and they all live here. We have ten grandchildren; and they all live here, and uh, it is a wonderful place to to live and to work. And here at your practice, um, your law firm, what what practice areas do you? Well, the firm is a general practice firm. Uh, My practice areas are primarily litigation, and uh, that involves mostly commercial litigation. Occasionally, we take a personal injury case, Uh, but my personal practice involves a lot of uh, professional liability defense work and some construction work and um, some uh, uh, just commercial litigation. We've recently, we've gotten a spate of um, partnership blow-ups, second and third generation partnership blow-ups. Uh, we just finished one yesterday and uh, have to write the brief now, Get help the judge get it right. And we are kind of in a transition period with uh, the baby boomers retiring right. and businesses, including many partnerships, you know, that point where somebody wants to get out or sell their, their share and it's, it's, it's sort of that, that time period where those sort of things are happening. It is and what we're finding, what we're finding, is that the uh, initiating documents, whether they are, <clears throat> whether they are uh, a corporation or a partnership or an LLC, very often do not uh, address how somebody gets out, and uh, sometimes the statutes, statutory mechanisms fail. The one we just finished trying, which has been ongoing now for five years, and we just. Uh, literally just uh, f- finished it yesterday, uh, it, it has they 
the partnership agreement was so bad, they couldn't get out. They had no way to get out. Uh, and I personally, I have come to the belief that uh, lawyers who allow clients to start those kinds of organizations without an exit plan, without an exit strategy, are committing malpractice. That's just, that is not, you're not doing your clients any favors. Because if their business is a success, then uh, they still need a, an exit strategy. And if it's a failure, then they clearly need an exit strategy. So there have got to be ways to get out. And uh, if you don't do that, then you're not doing your clients any, you, well, literally millions of dollars have been spent trying to get out. Sure. And, uh, and that's not what they built the business for. Right. And in general, in succession planning, there's a period of time, three to five years, that it takes to do that successfully with, with a plan in place. Right. But without it, um, that can really be a sticky situation and health decline and everything like that. There can be people that need to get out quicker than you, you have it time allotted for that transfer. That's right. Um, speaking of construction law, it looks like there's a lot, very large building going up right next to your office here. Improving your view and, and ruining your view in some ways, right? Uh, it's the HDR headquarters. Yeah. And it's 10 stories, and it's a big building. They're going to have a lot of folks in there. It's uh, it's pretty dramatic for Exarvin Village. So uh, I I view it as an improvement to my view. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, it certainly is a, it is a one-of-a-kind for Exarvin. It's going to be um, really the new center, which is great. And um, looking forward to, to seeing that and getting in that building. Right. Um, let's go back here to when you decided to go to law school and give this profession a go. What what drew you to the practice of law, being a lawyer, and all that? I viewed it as a way to help people, which is something that I wanted to do. I viewed it as a way to always be learning. I wanted to I wanted to do something where I was always learning. And I viewed it as a way to be a better writer. I wanted to write, and it was pretty obvious to me that uh, lawyers did a lot of writing. And uh, lawyers had chances to be in leadership positions uh, while I was in high school and, and college and junior high. Um, I got to see lawyers who were in leadership positions in my town and in my state and obviously in the country. And uh, it looked to me like lawyers could make a difference if they chose to. Um, and those would be uh, on a micro level, on a person-by-person -person basis, or on a macro level for communities. And uh, that, that attracted me to, to the law. And, uh, and you soon learn, as you know, when you go to law school, that the law is very dynamic. It is not a static uh, entity. And so uh, it's kind of a, at times a bucking horse that you get to ride. And every once in a while it'll throw you off, but uh, it's, uh, it's pretty, pretty interesting, you know. And so for 40 years, I've had the pleasure of watching the law develop and being a part of that process, working with some extraordinarily lawyers, extraordinary lawyers and judges in Omaha and in other states. And, um, and, and you know, the, the truth is once you get in this practice, you find out that, uh, at least in my view, lawyers are the best people in the world. They're just the most fun to be with, uh, and they're the most fun to work with, and uh, so I'm well placed. Absolutely. And you mentioned um, Judge Lay, um, his successor, uh, Judge 
Riley just um, took inactive, what senior inactive status, right. and um, we held a celebration, and you uh, were part of the people making remarks at that, and Judge Strom was there because he um, too just uh, went on inactive senior status. Uh, can you talk just a just briefly what those two mean to you and to this community? Yeah, they are gems. They are both gems uh, in the constellation of lawyers. They're very much alike in a lot of ways. Uh, they never took themselves very seriously, but they took their work very seriously. They were consummate lawyers. They were terrific people. They were givers. They gave to their community. They gave to um, the profession. They gave to their partners. Uh, they were teachers as well as learners. I mean, I think all great teachers are great learners. And uh, they were great teachers and uh, great encouragers. Uh, I remember, I can remember specific cases when I had a chance to work with Lyle and Bill, who are retired now, so I can call them by their first <laughs> name again. Um, but I, when I got a chance to work with them, I remember specific cases and, and how they poured themselves into that case on behalf of a client and how they worked through that and helped their client work through it. Uh, they were models, model citizens as lawyers, and uh, and they were great judges. You know, they didn't take themselves too seriously. Nebraska's just got a spate full of people like that who are wonderful judges who don't take themselves seriously but work very hard at getting it right. And uh, so uh, they're terrific. Uh, they're going to be a great loss. I all I also believe that their successors are also great people, so they'll be fine. I mean, the system is going to be fine. And uh, I wish them the very, very best as they move into this new part of their life. Absolutely. Um, so you've been in practice for 40 years, over 40 years. And as we enter the realm of technology taking over some of the practice area that we have um, for so long done ourselves and in the landscape of everything today, uh, what, what are your thoughts on, on where we're at in the legal profession and, and looking ahead where we're going? Well, that's a big question, and the landscape is very broad. Uh, I think technology is making a huge difference. Um, my clients call after they've looked at the, their computer screens, and they're asking for confirmation. Did they get it right? Is the information they're looking at right? Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't, but they're going to get better at that. And, uh, and the other obvious aspect with corporate clients is they have in-house counsel much more now than they used to. Um, a lot of companies have in-house counsel that uh, you would never, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have expected to, to have in-house counsel. I don't view that as a bad thing. I think that can be a very good thing for people in private practice. Um, it's a different thing to manage. I mean, it takes, it's a different skill set. And uh, so you have to manage a little differently. But technology is going to make a big difference. The in-house counsel movement is going to make a big difference. And um, the real question is, are we going to be able to serve individuals? Uh, people are always going to be find ways to serve corporations because they can pay your bills. And uh, you, we're all going to have to invest in technology because uh, that's just... Uh, that's part of staying up to, up to date. The question is, are we going to be relevant to people who have individual problems? 
So in my view, that's part of who we are as a profession, and that's the next big challenge. How do we stay relevant to everybody? Uh, there is a study out. The American Bar Foundation is uh, doing a study, and the first um, wave of information that came out of this uh, study, it's a Midwest, they did a study in a Midwestern city about how people perceive legal needs. It's dramatic how people don't even understand they have a legal issue. And, uh, and it wouldn't matter if they did because they wouldn't know where to go look for a lawyer. And so we have to find new delivery systems. We have to be committed to making sure people have access to the courts. And we have to make sure that people have access to more than a computer screen in a library to solve their legal problems. Um, so you take that and you take that uh, fact, which I think is undeniable, that we have huge people that have unmet legal needs. Uh, and you overlay that on a society that's grappling with issues like race and ethnicity and uh, sexism and uh, th those two things are, are going to collide at some point. And I think lawyers can and I believe they will find ways to help bridge that gap. Uh, but that is the next big challenge. We, we're going to have to ask tough questions. We're going to have to be the ones who convene people to ask the tough questions and to, to lead the development of policy about how to deal with these issues. And um, so uh, I think it's, it's the only way we're going to stay relevant as a profession. Absolutely. And there's a lot of, a lot of work to be done with all those um, various aspects. And I know that we're here at the, at the local level, at the state level, um, dealing with the unmet need um, in the community um, with the legal aid, with volunteer lawyers projects, the State Bar puts on um, WCA. We have a lot of resources, but they're not even meeting a, a drop no. in the bucket of the need right. out there. Um, and there's a disconnect with the community. And the disconnect is important because when people feel they don't have access, then they are disenfranchised and they don't care, and they develop their own systems, a way to handle things. And so we, we have whole segments of our society who are estranged from the legal process and don't feel like the law is on their side. And that is a very bad situation. The outcomes of that can be very severe. They are very severe. Yeah. And you know, we, so we get to read about it and shake our heads and say, what can we do? Well, there are things we can do. Absolutely. And uh, that's where the Bar Association comes in, Dave, for me. Right. That's where when you sit down with other lawyers and you put these difficult issues out on the table and you put your heads together and you start somewhere with a lawyer referral program or uh, making a, a better program or a volunteer lawyers project or whatever, that's where Bar Associations can make a huge difference. They can be conveners and... Uh, they bring together people of goodwill and good faith to talk about these issues. First, you have to sort of talk about it. You have to be willing to talk about it. And, you know, most of us would rather be comfortable, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's, it's true. But having the difficult conversations um, to look at the reality of the situation, the truths, and, uh, and say, well, who's going to stand up? Who's going to raise their hand? That's right. Yeah. And, you know, it's every generation has to do it. Sure. You had to do it. They had to do it in... 
in every single generation, there have been issues where lawyers have had to say, time out, it's time to say, this is a problem. How do we go address this problem? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, speaking of, of bar associations and, and your um, role in them, what what drew you to that? Or what, what's your story, your origin story for, for your bar junkie status now? I was fortunate enough to have uh, Jim Brown as a senior partner when I first started in practice. Uh, and, well, first judge, first thing Judge Lay did uh, for me when I came to Omaha was take me to the first National Bank uh, fall kickoff sure. at downtown. That was my first uh, bar association meeting. And he came in one day and said, next Thursday we're going to do this, so we'll go and here's your ticket. And he, I was his guest and he introduced me around. And um, uh, it was... It was fun. I mean, that's when I thought, geez, these are great people. The people I'm meeting are nice. They're welcoming. Uh, they were. They wanted to know a little bit about me. They were willing to share information about themselves. And uh, so um, that was my first introduction. And then I went to work for what was then Fitzgerald Brown. And Jim Brown and Lyle Strom were there. And Jim came to me when he was president of the bar. I think I'd been out two or three years at that point. And he said, I'm going to put you on this committee. And I said okay yes sir <laughs> which is uh and uh, i loved it i got to work with some people very closely we got to do some fun projects we got to make a little bit of difference here and there we put lawyers in the school um, i got to sit on a committee uh, of the omaha public school who was picking business law books they were looking at business law books and so i got to help do that the work was energizing to me and um and then after, I don't know, several years after uh, Jim was uh, president of the Omaha Bar, he became president of the State Bar, and he uh, uh, put me on a State Bar committee, and then uh, some couple years later, one of his successors, Jim Hewitt from Lincoln, made me a committee chair, and it was a fun committee, and it, we did a lot of good things. We did had a lot of fun, and uh, so, you know, it just... It just the relationships developed, uh, the payoff, the real payoff individually is the relationships that you have and you develop. My, most of my very best friends are lawyers and they're people I met through the Bar Association. And, uh, you know, uh, so you just keep going back. And, you know, I, so I'm getting ready to write the next membership letter and I, we try to say that every year, you know, the, the, the biggest benefit you get is that relationship, the relationships that you have with other attorneys. Exactly and right. Um, you know, they're all looking at CLE, um, how, much, how much CLE you can get for what cost. Right. And, you know, maybe some best practices documents and things like that. And it's like, gosh, that, there, there's, there's some, some intangible that unless you are there and you see it, yeah. you know, but you go to an event, you, you make an acquaintance that acquaintance becomes a colleague, a friend, and uh, you know, 40 years later you're looking back and saying, yeah, that really was worth it to be in the Bar Association. Yeah, yeah I, absolutely. I know exactly um, that that situation you're talking about. Well worth the investment. Absolutely. Um, so one one thing I like to always ask is what what advice do you have for younger attorneys that are just getting out? But also I'd like to hear your advice for, for the older attorneys or the, the wiser, the senior attorneys, 
because I think that sometimes we, we don't think about them, but they also need some advice at this point. And you've, you've been around the block, you've seen it all. What, what's your advice for those two sets? Well, I, I think for younger attorneys, it's uh, understand what you have, understand the opportunities you have, and uh, seize the opportunities. Don't be satisfied with just doing the work on your desk. Now, I know that's much harder today than it was when I was a brand new attorney. I was at the tail end of that generation where the wife stayed home and, you know, uh, we had a young lady in our office who uh, said to me one day, and completely honestly, and uh, it caught me, and it, I think she helped me understand her role. Uh, she said, you know what I need? And I said, no, what do you need? And she said, I need a wife. <laughs> and it, she was right. She needed somebody who supported me. I mean, my success is, a lot of my success is because I have, I have great support at home. And uh, so I know that I look around our offices and I think we only have one stay-at-home spouse. Mm -hmm. And everybody else is, they have their own careers. And, uh, you know, it just, it's a different world. My boys are better dads than I was because they have to be. They, because they're, they're required to be there a lot more than I was required to be there. So it, it's different in that respect, but it's, uh, you can also involve your children. So I think associations probably are going to have to find ways to involve young uh, lawyers' children's in their program, children in their programs so that it's okay to bring kids to a certain events and, uh, and to mingle, mingle like that and to make those. Make time for uh, work beyond yourself. I don't think there's any successful person in the world who has only worked for themselves. I think you have to find a way to make time for something larger than yourself. It gives you a chance to get up from your desk and to look at it from a different perspective. And it'll enhance the way you work at your desk if you do that every once in a while, if you're able to lift your eyes. And that's true throughout all of, all of your career. Um, I, you know, you just have to view all of the things that change as challenges. The hardest thing about getting older is, you know, why can't it be the old way? You know, because it works so well for me. Well, you know, you were lucky. I was lucky. But uh, it's, they're all just challenges. Technology is a challenge for me, but I'm trying really hard to embrace it. I'm trying really hard to learn it. Uh, and uh, new thinking, having to deal with... Uh, uh, new ways of thinking about careers by people who haven't been out but 10 years or a little less. Uh, that's a challenge to me, but, you know, I think we just have to find ways to meet their needs. Sure. And my dad had a saying that I've tried to adopt uh, about clients and about dealing with lawyers, and that is people go where they can get help. So if the Bar Association is a place where people can get help, whatever kind of help they need or want, then people will go. Uh, if you're the kind of lawyer who provides help when people show up at your door or on the phone, then people will keep coming. So uh, that's, you know, be a person who uh, gives people help and you'll do fine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the, the thing they said earlier about, you know, wanting to, to be a learner, lifelong learner, um, and the profession being part of that. 
I think sometimes it gets lost, right? You, you get out there, you, you learn that practice area, you're really good at that practice area, but you still have to push yourself and learn throughout as things change, like, and, like you said. Yeah, and it's, but the law is so multi-layered. Right. You know, even in areas where I think I know a lot about it, you're always finding new nuances. You're always finding things that are new and things change. Um, contracts change, uh, contract terms change. There are hot issues. I do a seminar for some clients on uh, contract issues because they're involved in contracts. On a, they're contractors and they're involved in contracts. So every year I do an update. And so there are always new issues and there are always ways to learn. And actually, the more you know about something, the more you know that you don't really know it all. You know? <laughs> and uh, so the case I just finished, I, I remember doing some partnership work early but it had been a long time since I'd been in partnership law. And this has given me a chance to get back into partnership law, and I'm really looking forward to doing this brief because it's going to be kind of a primer on on partnership law and what are the responsibilities of partners. And uh, so it's it's uh, it's energizing. It's fun. And I've got several good friends who I've told uh, when I can't remember anything anymore and I can't remember that I can't remember, you have to help me get out of the courtroom and <laughs> tell me to go home and read my paper. Uh, so I've Your got some people. Exit strategy, you know? <laughs> That's my exit strategy. My good friends are going to be honest with me. <laughs> um, so, but until then, I'm going to learn. <laughs> until then, I'm going to keep learning. Um, so, so kind of on that vein, but maybe outside of just the practice, uh, any good books that you're reading these days that you oh gosh you'd like to recommend to the listeners? Yeah. Um, well, I am reading. Uh, I'm a Churchill guy. I'm looking forward to the new Netflix series mm-hmm. on Churchill that's coming out. Uh, I've read two or three books uh, on Churchill recently. Um, I'm reading some books about religion. I'm trying to rethink what religion means in our society and how maybe that is going to be a bridge that helps us deal with issues like race and ethnicity and sex issues, sexism issues, um, women's rights, uh, and how that, how exploring that side of us might be a way to uh, develop some policy uh, in the law, not based on religion or based on any particular religion, but from a much more thirty thousand foot kind of uh, kind of uh, place. I've been listening to some a lot of podcasts yeah. about that. Yeah. Uh, it's a great way to take a walk. Uh, it's a great way to. Uh, I try not to do it while I'm driving, but uh, uh, once in a while I'll, I'll sneak in <laughs> a good podcast while I'm on the road. But it, uh, so there are lots of you know if you go to a bookstore you will figure out what's bothering you by where you migrate to. (laughs) If you migrate to biography, it'll tell you that you're worried a little bit about where your direction is. If you migrate to history, it'll tell you that you want to be a little more grounded about the future. If you migrate to how to do it, it'll tell you it's time to get away from your desk and build something with your hands. You know, and so, you know, I go to the library just to figure out what's going on inside <laughs> once in a while or I go to a bookstore and then uh, buy a couple of books and put them in put them in order I'm going on vacation in a couple of weeks and so I've, I've lined up my two or three books that I'm taking to finish do you have a weight limit for the number of books that you pack <laughs> or is it a number of books because um, for me it's 
It's when that when that bag goes over fifty pounds, I got to take out at least three of them. So <laughs> uh, I don't have a weight limit. <laughs> uh, I, it's going to be a golf vacation, so I've got plenty of room in my golf bag for any, any number of books I want to take. Um, on the um, the religion connection with with things we're dealing with, uh, I would add something that I've heard about, which is interesting, is um, re- relating to Mother Earth, uh, the mm-hmm. Earth, and environmentalism, right? Um, and the church's role mm-hmm. in in that um, for for environmental argument to save um, our natural resources and everything like that. So. Um, that could also be a tie-in that you, you explore in it, reading. Right? Exactly right. In fact, our sermon last Sunday, as we're speaking, we're in the middle of Advent, and the sermon in our church last Sunday was on the theme for Advent for us is the colors of Advent, and the color last week was green, and our minister, uh, her, her sermon was about our responsibility for renewal and for the gift of the earth and for uh, our our stewardship responsibility uh, for making sure that we are good stewards about that. And uh, you're exactly right. Uh, that's a huge issue. And um, so there are lots of ways to, lots of ways to, to get to policy issues. Absolutely. Um, I don't have anything else. Is there anything that I missed that you'd like to add for the sake of if, if I haven't said it, Dave, well, first of all, I think you're doing a great job with the Omaha Bar. I'm very, I'm delighted that you're here, and I, I appreciate all your efforts. Uh, secondly, if I haven't said it, I encourage everybody to support bar, the Omaha Bar Association. I encourage them to be a member of and support the Nebraska State Bar, and I encourage them to be a member of the American State American Bar Association as well for a lot of personal reasons, and I can give you a list of things that from relationships to learning, uh, having access to materials, to having access to experience, uh, and being a part of something larger than yourself for all of those good reasons. Uh, but uh, remember that what remember what drew you to this profession. It was not probably. I hope it wasn't just the chance to make money. Uh, I hope it was a chance to make a difference. And if it was, then. Be a part of, realize you're part of something larger than yourself and figure out ways to make that work for you. And bar associations are a great way to do that. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I couldn't have said it better myself, and that's, I think, why I came here to interview you in part is because you, you are such a great champion for bar associations. Thank you so much, Dave. Appreciate it. My pleasure.